Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about the Old Testament book of Judges. And joining me today is Brandon Hurlbert from the University of Durham in England, where he is a PhD candidate in Old Testament working with Walter Moberly. How's it going, Brandon? It's going good, John. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, let's just dive right in. So this is your PhD topic. Do you want to say a little bit about what exactly you're working on in the book of Judges? Yeah. Um, so I am working on um, reading Judges as Christian scripture. Um, the thing I'm most interested interested in is trying to figure out how I, as a Christian and others uh, who are Christians, can read a book um, that is in there sacred text uh, that's filled with violence and mm -hmm. filled with crazy stories that kind of seem um, more like a Quentin Tarantino film yes, in exactly. uh, a sacred text or something that they grew up with. And um, especially relating that to the uh, teachings of Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, it's, it's my question. And I'm sure if it's my question, it might be other people's questions as well. Uh, so that's what I've been working on. Oh, that's great. So how, how exactly did you get into a topic like that? Yeah, that's a, that is a good question. Um, so when in my undergrad, I did uh, English literature as well uh, as biblical studies. Mm. Um, and I took this class on uh, world literature. Uh, and it was it was really fascinating because, you know, not you don't typically read um, novels or fiction or, or books from um, other parts of the world. So we read this book uh, called The Farming of Bones by hmm. this author named Edwidge Danticat. Hmm. And it is all about this um, really, it, it's, a, it's a kind of like a historical fiction. And essentially it's from uh, this uh, really crazy time uh, in the Dominican Republic in the 1930s. Um, there was a uh, dictator there and essentially the uh, uh, Dominican Republic is on the same island as Haiti. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially the Dominican Republic, uh, this dictator, um, kicked out, uh, and exiled, if you will, uh, all the Haitian, uh, immigrants and all the Haitian, uh, people who had lived there. And they also started massacring them and it was mm. really tragic. And, um, the country or the, the island is divided by a river. And so the Haitians were, were trying to flee to safety and, um, the, some people, um, some Dominicans just hold up at the border and would ask them uh, to pronounce certain words. And one of them was parsley, which is perejil, which I can't say that because I don't know Spanish very well. Uh, and I can't roll my R's, mm -hmm. which uh, the Haitians also couldn't roll their R's. So they, you could tell the difference in their speech. And that is how uh, the Dominicans would know who was a foreigner or not. And oh, that's like the Sin Shin issue, isn't it? Well, yes. And so what happens is at the very beginning of the book, I mean, the book is a book is really good and in a very tragic way. And there's a lot of, you know, religious elements in it with uh, like with Catholicism and stuff, but nothing explicitly biblical um, in that, like, it's not quoting Bible verses or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, as a foreword of, her, of the entire book was just this uh, was just this quotation from Judges uh, 12, which is yeah, uh, Jephthah at the fords of the Jordan making the Ephraimites mm -hmm. um, say, 
um, the word for either stream or corn. We don't really know, but uh, and then they would say Sibboleth and it's actually mm-hmm. Shibboleth. And then that's mm-hmm. how they'd know they're Ephraimites yep. and then right. they would kill them. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, that, and yeah, I guess just reading this book of this like crazy dictator and like a, tr- a, a like a horrendous, horrendous tragedy mm-hmm. um, and an outrage and seeing that the author was reading their Bible in that way, that they mm-hmm. read the story of judges in light of this thing that happened. I think, I think the author's uh, either grandparents or parents survived through that. So that's how they like, they have some like personal connection to it. And yeah, I just, I just had never read. I'd always read that story as like, well, that kind of is sad and that sucks for the Ephraimites, but they really shouldn't have attacked Jephthah that way, mm. you know, mm. but to see Jephthah as actually like a dictator, mm. you know, that, that, that really changed my reading of, of that story. Wow. Well, Jephthah is a is a great example of some of this uh, at at best ambiguity as it relates to the the characters in in Judges. You know, the quote unquote good guys, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean Jephthah. You know, his I, I don't know if you call it bravado or uh, whatever when he says, you know, I will um, sacrifice the first thing that comes out of of my house or whatever. Um, you know, I think we're we're meant to read that as, uh, you know, a, a kind of foolishness, right? I mean, of course, mm-hmm. the, the uh, what happens with his daughter is uh, tragic. I mean, uh, Jephthah is a great example of, of some of these, uh, you know, um, intriguing ambiguities as it relates to um, all of these uh, protagonists or main characters, um, very few of which, if any, uh, actually come out uh, squeaky clean in the book of Judges. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. You shouldn't try and imitate uh, the characters that we have in Judges, should we? So how how I mean, how can Judges be a, a good text of um, uh, sort of Christian scripture if everything that we see sort of spirals out of control? Well, yep, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess one thing I I enjoy about Judges is that it's very episodic. Uh, there's really I mean, generally, pretty clear-cut um, episodes in this text. So it's we can talk about Jephthah and the story of Jephthah, and that doesn't that doesn't really affect how someone else can read the story of Gideon or of Samson mm. or mm. Ehud, right? So those I think that's really helpful because I think what's happening in the different stories is, is that we can take these stories different, we can read them differently and according to their episode without mm. trying to make a you know overarching scheme for reading the violence in judges mm. because the the violence is different and the issues are different in each episode and i think that's kind of how the book is arranged yeah so you want to say a little bit more about some of those episodes, perhaps um, Ehud or Samson uh, in particular uh, as reading strategies or or just, uh, well, yeah, what exactly is going on in some of these episodes? Yeah, um, well, I think one thing that I, I guess one strategy that I've had when kind of studying and researching is I guess I, I just been looking at a lot of commentaries and I look at all sorts of commentaries, good ones mm-hmm. and bad ones. I, I guess I just have, because I've been looking at this uh, this book and the commentaries for a, a, a number of years now, I feel like I've begun to notice certain things that I find interesting 
that no one seems to have addressed. Now, sometimes I, I think that and then I go on like JSTOR, I go on some database and I go, oh, plenty of people have actually talked right. about this. Never mind. Um, I'm not as smart or intelligent as I thought I was. Um, or, or, or it means you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So so one thing I, I did with uh, with Ehud, uh, I, now Ehud is this story of uh, an assassin who uh, he's left-handed and uh, right. et cetera, et cetera. He goes and stabs this king, but he offers him the word of God. And then the king uh, of Moab rises up and then he stabs him. And then that's supposed to be a really great thing. So I think as someone who is um, you know, committed to Christian nonviolence, mm-hmm. I always have a problem with this because you think, Surely, if there was anyone in your small group who was thinking of assassinating a political leader, you'd say, no, don't right. do that. That's right. a bad thing to do. You shouldn't do that. And he's like, but no, no, no. It says so in the Bible. And you go, no, hmm. that's not how you read it. Okay. Uh-huh. So we so we just know intuitively that you probably shouldn't assassinate people, right. even though the, this character does. So I, I guess that's one of my starting points. And then things yeah. that jumped out to me. Um, was I guess I asked how how common is this type of assassination within the ancient Near East? So that was one of my questions oh, yeah. that yeah. I had that I did a uh, a number of uh, a bunch of research on, and essentially unprecedented in the in the hmm. ancient world. Hmm. This type of assassination, um, where a foreign agent goes and kills a king and then escapes, like it just hmm. it just doesn't ah. happen. So it's not like a type, you're saying it's not like a type scene where there's various tropes of assassination. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying it's it's not at all like um, like a James Bond film. Sure. Or um, a number of people have read this really um, satirically. So like the king mm. is like this gross, super fat guy, you know, yeah. like he's on his he's on his crapper, you know, like there's all these kind of things that people have read into. I think um uh, in my research, I just tried to be um, respectful of, of other people's readings because I think there's ways people read text, and even though that that might not be the way I read them, that doesn't mean that they're wrong for reading them that way. And so, a, a number of these kind of satirical readings, or what I think there's enough in the text because it's really ambiguous that someone could read it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but because there's a lot of ambiguities in terms of, you know, what is is he left-handed? You know, like there's all these, uh, is the king actually fat or does that mean that he's actually really strong? Is Ehud this like disabled figure or is he actually a well-trained super assassin? Like mm. th- those change the story right. and all of them I think are available uh, within the ambiguities. One of those things is kind of following from that, I was asking this question of, okay, what about assassination? Is it normal in this way? And finding out it's not. And I think a good analogy is when you watch it, you know, you're watching uh, Mr. Bean or Get Smart or something like that, you know, a, a parody or a satire. Yeah, right. You understand it because you've read or, you, or sorry, because you've seen James Bond film, mm-hmm. right? You've seen a James Bond film, so you know the tropes, and you know that Mr. Bean is an uh, absurd character, and it's mm-hmm. funny because mm-hmm. you know of James Bond. But it, and you watch James Bond films, and you go, "This makes sense because I know that this stuff can happen within, mm-hmm. you know, the Cold War or within wartime. That makes sense." Mm-hmm. But imagine if you had no idea about assassins, you had no idea about spies, and and you had no idea, and you watched 
James Bond for the first time, you'd be blown away. Like, why are these, why are these the need for secret gadgets? You know, like, mm-hmm. why, why the need for this? You know, and I think many people have read their assumptions on how ancient assassinations go into the story of Ehud. And so that makes them, you know, a, a number of people have talked about, does Ehud, you know, he hides the dagger on his, uh, his right side because in a weapons check, they wouldn't have checked that side. And it's like, hmm. well, why do you assume that there's a weapons check? Like, why, why do you, like, I guess we can, we can imagine that, but is that actually the case? Yeah, that's fascinating. So probably the story from Judges that most people who grew up in church will be familiar with is the story of Samson. That's you know a story I recall having learned about during children's church or whatever. Of course, it's a much more, I would say, interesting and complex and problematic story, it seems to me, as you uh, learn more about it and actually properly read it, uh, you know, outside of the children's church context. Do you want to say more about the Samson narrative in particular? Yeah. Um, I, when I first started with my research, I, I, I because of the f- over familiarity with Samson, I almost I was I tried to uh, not do it <laughs> as part of my research. And then I, I've started working on it uh, more recently, and, and I'm glad I did. But, you know, it's, it's an important narrative. It's almost 20% of the Book of Judges. Uh, it is the mm-hmm. longest narrative um, on, a, on a particular person in, mm-hmm. in the Book of Judges. So it's really important. One thing that when I read the text that I, it strikes me is how much um, of a failure <laughs> Samson is. He, he just gets everyone killed. Hmm. And he destroys so much, and mm-hmm. and it's usually always his fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think of the particular uh, in in Judges fourteen is the wedding at, at Timna, right? He right. goes and sees yep. this woman. He, yep. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he he he's get you know. There's a the lion. There's the the bees, yeah. the honey. The, yep. But it's such a strange. It's such a you know. It should. It's a wedding. It should be. It, it's a should be a party, and it should be feasting and joy and. Mm-hmm. And it ends in him, you know, they figure out, you know, the, the Philistines are acting like Philistines and they, you know, get the the answer to the riddle through cunning and manipulation and threats because, mm-hmm. you know, w- what else would you expect them to do? Kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. but then Samson goes and goes, all right, fine, you got me. And then goes and kills 30 yeah. people. Right. And it's almost like he's delivering um, that, you know, they were that the bet was, you know, 30 pieces of clothing. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he goes and kills these 30 people Their their um, their garments are covered in their blood and he hands them back mm-hmm. to their, you know, compatriots and says, all right, there I've repaid the debt now. And you're like, no, uh- that's awful. Mm-hmm. That, and that all happens at a wedding. Yeah, no, that's so bizarre. And I, I always think the um, the whole lion honey thing is super bizarre, too, because Samson is somebody who grows up with the strictest form of a Nazarite vow recorded in the Bible. Right. I mean, the, the yeah. Nazarite, the Nazarite vow is nowhere near as strict as what's applied to Samson. And of course, he far from keeps it. I mean, he's highly promiscuous to start, but also additionally, he um 
he's eating honey out of a dead animal, which you know completely yeah. goes against all sorts of Jewish taboo uh, uh, taboos regarding food, etc. Um, so it's a it's a very wild, uh, very wild narrative. I mean, for somebody to have such a strict um, you know upbringing in that regard, in terms of this vow that goes above and beyond uh, what we see in number six. Um, yeah, I always find that so so interesting. Um, yeah, and and in the uh, um, in the Talmud, um, there's even this this when they're talking about uh, I think it's in this yeah uh, Nazir Talmud said Nazir where they talk about the rules for being a Nazirite. They have mm. actually the rabbis have two separate categories. There's a mm. a, 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 a Nazir Olam which is, you know, uh, a Nazarite forever. And then mm-hmm. there's a Nazarite like Samson. Interesting. So they have, and, and the one, the Nazarite like Samson can be, is able to be defiled by corpses and death. Without oh my goodness. Vow. Oh, wow. So, th- so the, you know, these early, the earliest interpreters and readers right. of the text are struggling with Samson's Nazarite identity. Mm-hmm. And they even, you can see it in, in, in their tradition. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, I I read it as, you know, part of the indictment of Samson that um, we're meant to, ex- I think, expect certain things and everything that he does is incongruous with that, you know. Yeah. Um, that's sort of how I, I understand that. But wow, Definitely. that's really fascinating. I, I had no idea that they had those two different categories like that. That's super interesting. Wow. Yeah, and I think I think one, one of the, I mean, this kind of goes to overarching structures um, of the book. One of the things that I find interesting is that with all of this talk about Samson and all the stuff that he does, and he, you know, he ends up committing suicide, bringing the mm-hmm. the Temple of Dagon down on all these Philistine uh, Philistine leaders, right? It ends. It says that he he you know kills more people in his death than he did in his life, mm. which. Is I've always taken that to be like, oh, that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think when you step back, you go, who would you want? Like, what would you, who, how, who would you say that to? That would mm-hmm. be like a good thing. Like in your life, you didn't accomplish much, but mm-hmm. now that you're dead, we're really glad. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that'd be really, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. And I think the book of Judges, as it continues on into, you know, Samson's from Dan, he is in this time period where the Danites don't really have, they, they couldn't push out the Philistines, is what it says in, uh, in the end of one, uh, sorry, judge, end of Judges one. And then they are in this like, kind of limbo state. And then Samson happens, kills all these Philistines, Philistine leaders, that the country should be in complete chaos that the Danites should be able to move in and conquer. And then in 17, the next chapter after uh, Samson's death, it ends up with the Danites couldn't push them out. They go and um, have to move up to the north and they completely fail to take their inheritance. Mm. And it's almost like the narrator is saying one thing, but then showing you the other, Mm -hmm. right? It's the thing that you say at a funeral. But then the other part, that chapter 17, is what everyone knows to be true about the person. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I have uh, one kind of final uh, thought for us um, and question related to it. Um, thinking about it in relation to Joshua. So, of course, you know, Joshua through Second Kings is, 
you know, sort of being part of this deuteronomistic history that's sort of uh, at least one way of understanding this collection of texts within the Tanakh is that um, it is trying to explain you know, how did we end up in exile, right? It's from the vantage point of a post-exilic community. How did we get here kind of thing? And um, I find that very compelling. And I think uh, seeing judges in relation to Joshua is in particularly highly interesting because uh, as I've, as I've read, it's been pointed out, you know, Joshua's so concerned with boundaries and you know, allotment and exactitude and precision and all of these things. And then when you look at judges, it just seems like all the boundaries in yeah. many, many ways are being crossed and uh, transgressed. And you had said that judges is very episodic. And of course it is. But would you say that that is a uh, helpful broad brush way of thinking about judges or is it too simplistic or what would you say about that? Yeah, I think the boundaries bit is interesting because in almost every narrative, there is a crossing of some sorts, whether it's crossing the Jordan or, mm. you know, you get this, Dan, you know, with Samson, this Danite who's kind of living around Judah, but an Ephraim and then the mm. Ephraimites it, like there, it, there's all there's a, a fluidity to these movements. And it's almost when you read the book, it seems everyone's going everywhere on holiday and mm. bad things happen. It's a bad holiday. But within certain aspects that uh, judges ends up being almost a counter narrative to Joshua. Mm. You know, Joshua talks about how they've conquered the land and they've done all this good stuff. And, um, you know, the, the 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 eschaton almost you know the the, the blessing of God is is almost there. Mm -hmm. They just gotta tie up a few loose ends, and you get to judges, and you see that those few loose ends, because they're not tied up, end up unraveling the mm -hmm. whole um, you know tapestry of who uh, of mm -hmm. Israelite identity um, mm -hmm. that was kind of being formed by Joshua. And I think when you get to the end of the book of Judges in chapters 17 through 21, what those show, um, those actually in the in the narrative, they they actually come at the very beginning of the book of Judges mm. uh, within the next generation after Joshua. And what they show is that the priesthood has actually become corrupt. Is that no longer are the priesthood that the people who are supposed to be standing between the Lord and Israel, representing both God to the people and the people to God, no longer are they acting the way they should. Hmm. And the result of that is that the entire people end up following in their footsteps. Hmm. And now everyone, you know, everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Yeah. Let, let's say a little bit more about that. So so just to clarify, chapters 17 to 21, which is how Judges ends, uh, really provides more insight in that transitional period uh, between, let's say, Joshua and Judges, right? Um, and, and that point about priesthood that you're saying is super interesting because, of course, within chapters 17 to 21, we have what is perhaps the most egregious uh, example of violence in in maybe the whole Old Testament, uh, which is the yeah. Le uh, Le the Levite and his concubine in chapter 19. Do you want to just say a little bit about that uh, and how that scene um, really uh, 
really leans quite well into what you're saying in terms of uh, how the story of Judges really does spiral out of control in the way that it does. Uh, Judges 19 uh, through 21 is is a nice uh, unit, but uh, Judges 19 in itself, um, yeah, it starts off like a fairy tale, you know, once upon a time in Israel, and then and then you realize that it's not a fairy tale, and mm. you realize that it is it the opposite and where this this levite you know this this priest has forsaken his duties both as a, a priest uh, someone who represents the lord but also just as a, a human and as a man he lets his uh this this woman uh, it's really you know concubine uh secondary wife i just call her the woman because hmm. i think mm -hmm. that's a bit more i think that's better <laughs> sure um see her in her own right but he lets her be brutally raped um and he ends up, uh, I think, killing her. The Hebrew text is a bit um, ah, okay. ambiguous. So, so she's not dead at the doorstep. No, it, I mean, the, he the Hebrew doesn't say that. It's it, The Levite goes out. It, it almost looks like he's going to leave her behind, like he's just forgotten to, about mm. her. He's going to go back home. And he sees her. It's almost like a camera, you know, looking down really abruptly. Um, mm. And you just see the woman and you see her hands on, on the threshold. And then he, you know, very kindly just tells her to get up. <laughs> oh. And and in the in the Hebrew, it, it says, you know, she did not answer. Right. There was no answer. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, in the Septuagint, it says, you know, there was no answer. But uh, because she was dead, I think the uh, the the translators there wanted I mean, to clarify. To yeah. Well, I think and, they and, to, to, and to mitigate. I, well, yeah. I, the implications. Yeah. I get I get that. Wow. Yeah. And all this goes up. She, you know, he ends up cutting her up into pieces as this, you know, this call to arms, you know, it ends up inciting all of Israel to civil war. And you're just like, what is happening? And of course, when he chops her up, he sends her parts out to um, where the 12 tri tribes are, right? So yeah. sh she's really spread out, like literally throughout the land. And it seems to me like that really does function like a kind of origin story, like an etiology for why things did spiral out. I mean, would you read it that way? Do you see that as being kind of the function of that scene? Yeah, yeah, I think definitely 19 through 21 is is meant to to show how uh, corrupt and how uh, based Israel has become. Mm -hmm. They can't just stop for a second and just think, what just happened? You've just cut up this this woman into twelve pieces, and you right. and 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 they and they almost do that. They do that in in chapter twenty where they come and they kind of have this like, what the heck are you doing, bro? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how I read it at least. Um, right. And, right. He ends up saying he ends up telling a lie that you as a reader know is a lie. Mm. He mistells the story. He misrepresents it. And then they end up going on a civil war against the Benjaminites. And there's this, you know, connection to Joshua as well. They commit holy war, harem against mm -hmm. their own people. And it's like, this is not the way God has intended his people to act. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this has been super helpful. It's been fun to hear more about your studies and, and what you're working on with uh, Judges. And I hope uh, that our uh, listeners will find some of this helpful for their own reading of Judges and thinking about it as a uh, Christian text. And uh, thanks for uh, being with us, Brandon. Yeah, my pleasure.
you'd like more engagement of theology, culture, and discipleship from the two cities, you can find us on Facebook or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com.